All right. Now, so before I get started with my actual sermon and notes, I will say I wasn't going to say anything about this, but Brandon said I should. Um, and I don't always listen to him. In fact, I usually don't listen to him. But I'm going to listen to him today. Um, and he said I should talk about my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, so I told him, I think it's, it's funny, you know, he started out the year talking about this whole peach fuzz thing, and uh, what man would wear peach fuzz, and I've not found pants yet, but I'm getting, looking for them, um, but I have shoes now, um, but the reason why I'm wearing these as well, actually, also, you guys might, he said you guys would probably find this interesting and, and like this, um, these actually were my grandfather's shoes. Um, some of you guys are aware that he recently passed away and we were up there last weekend for his funeral and my grandmother said, pick out some of his stuff because my grandfather loved to wear nice things. Um, and I found some shoes. I'm like, oh, these shoes are perfect and they're pink. Oh man. Yeah. I'm going to wear these next time I preach. (laughs) So that's where the shoes come from. Brandon said, you guys might want to know that. Um, it has nothing to do with the sermon at all. Um, unlike his sermon on colors. Um, because instead today we're going to talk about this idea of water trees, um, Now, there's this guy, Eugene Peterson. You might be familiar with him. He wrote the message paraphrase. He did a couple of different books, too, that were really useful for me, um, like Under the Unpredictable uh, Plant, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Um, just an amazing pastor and minister of the word. Uh, But something that he talked about towards the end of his life, and his son actually gave him a hard time about this. His son was a pastor as well. He talked about this idea of preaching uh, your one sermon. The idea was that uh, his son said this. He said, essentially, Dad, I realized that every sermon you've ever preached was the same sermon over and over again. And Eugene Peterson was a little offended. He's like, I swear I do my work and I study and I'm not preaching the same thing over and over again. Um, But his son meant that as a compliment to say that really that that there are pastors um, and preachers who they realize what is that one sermon that God has given them to preach. And they pretty much spend the rest of their lives preaching it over and over again. Um, and, and while I might not be quite there, I will say that if I have one sermon, today is another one of those one sermons for me. Um, actually, this, what I'm going to declare to you guys today, I have preached it in some way, shape, or form in every church I've ever pastored in. Um, this probably is like my one sermon, to be honest. Uh, and, and it entails some things that I think are interesting for us all to, to gather and, and, and hear from. Um, and it does tie in with what we're talking about today with this idea of John and going through the word. So if you turn to John chapter 3, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, um, but where we pick up where we left off is this idea that, you know, John the Baptist, starting in verse 22, he's saying, hey, this is great, we're baptizing people, and it's wonderful. His disciples come along, and they say, well, wait a minute, this, this, this Jesus guy, like, he's doing some amazing things too. Shouldn't you be concerned about that? And he's like, no. Why, why am I going to get concerned? Why am I going to be jealous? Like, he's doing the work that God has for him to do. He has his work I have mine. In fact, his work is better than my work, but how am I going to be jealous about his work? His work is awesome. Let's let's keep supporting his work that he's doing. And then you get into chapter four and you find Jesus is having to leave the area because people just don't like what it is he's doing. They don't like hearing what it is he's saying. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Instead, I'm going to do something um, that I did that my my daughter actually really enjoyed. When we were um, in Brazil a while ago, which I see people back from Brazil. Welcome back. And hopefully you guys are praying for them. Um, But when we were out in Brazil, my my daughter was with me there. And she said the thing she enjoyed most um, was walking around through the community and hearing me tell Bible stories. Which I was like, really? You've heard this your whole life. But she seemed to really enjoy it. Um, And so I'm just going to paraphrase part of this right here. uh, Because it's a story you've heard before. It's it's Jesus. He's he's going through. And he has to get from one place to another. But to get from point A to point B, you might have experienced this. Sometimes there's a point F in the way. Right? And so to get to where he's going, he has to go through Samaria. And as he's going, he gets thirsty, he sits down and he waits and there's a well. 
And what do you do when you go to a well? You want water. He didn't have a thing to get water. And it was the middle of the day. And this lady shows up. And this lady's walking up and he's like, hey, can I have some water? And she's like, why are you talking to me, man? Like, we don't hang out with each other. Your people don't like my people. My people don't like your people. It's a mutual disagreement we have here. Why are you talking to me? And he's like, well, you know, if you realized who was talking to you, you'd ask me to give you water instead of me asking you for water. And she's like, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean you got water? First you were asking me for water. Now you're telling me that you have some special water. How are you getting this special water you have? He's like, well, this special water I have is the sort of water that you will never thirst again. She's like, man, can I have some of that? That sounds like some good water. I mean, I can relate with her on that one. Water bills are getting kind of high right now. I could use some water. I don't have to pay. That good. I'm glad you're an honest woman because the truth is you're right. You don't have a husband. You've been through quite a few husbands and you're kind of shacking up with a guy right now who's not your husband. Now, what's interesting about this story is that she doesn't get upset about this, right? She doesn't say like, hey, who are you? You spying on me? Get out of here. She's like, wow, you must be a prophet of God. You're speaking truth. But since you're a prophet of God and you're speaking truth, let's get into a religious discussion because we disagree on where to worship God. She's like, hey, stop all that. That doesn't matter. That, you're getting beside the point. It's not about that religious stuff about, you know, worshiping here or there. It's about worshiping in spirit and truth. That's what really matters. You should worry about the Savior. She's like, well, who is the Savior? He says, I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the Savior. And again, what's interesting is her response to this is not to say, you have lost your mind. I'm calling the authorities. Her response is, wow, I have met the one I've been waiting for. And what she does with that is she doesn't just keep it to herself. She goes and she tells the people where she's from. She tells them all about the fact that she has met Christ. Now she goes to do that. The disciples come back and they're like, hey, Jesus, I don't know why you're talking to that lady. We're not going to get involved in all that, but this is kind of strange. Hey, but good news, we got food. Jesus like, I don't need your food. He's like, what? Why don't you? We just went and got food. Why don't you need food? You got special, some kind of secret food? And he's like, yeah, my food is what God tells me to do. That's my food. And I'm happy with it. And you guys are missing the point. There's so much going on around here. You're not seeing it. If you were just able to see what's going on, able to receive what's going on, there's so much to be gained from this. But you're blind to it. You're not aware of what's going on around you. The people are just ready. They're waiting to receive the truth. If you just go and do the work. If you just go and do the work. And I'm going to read you this part here because picking up in verse 39, like it says here, this is what happens. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves that we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Let me pray for a second. God, I pray that right now as we spend time in your word that You will fill me and use me to declare your word to your people. God, please be glorified right now in the preaching of your word. If there's anyone here right now who is lost in their sin, I pray that somehow they will be saved today as they hear your word. If there's anybody who is lost in their sinfulness, though they may be saved, they are still just lost in the sin that they practice. God, I pray they will be redeemed from that, delivered from that today, and live a new life. God, I pray that today will be a day that you are glorified in us and that we leave changed for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, when we look at this lady, we see a couple of things that happen with her, okay? Because she had this amazing, life-changing experience, right? She encountered Christ. In fact, that's the first thing. She encountered Christ and was seen. 
I don't know if, if you need to hear this today. I know that I need to hear this all the time because though I have a wife and kids and they love me and they support me and that's wonderful, but there are still moments in my life where I feel unseen, where I feel like I don't matter, where I feel like it doesn't matter what I do, it's never good enough and nobody sees or cares and hears and bothers with me. And that lady found out that day that Jesus sees. She encountered him and was seen by him. A woman who comes from a culture where they are often overlooked, a woman who herself was often overlooked, a woman who had to come in the middle of the day because she was trying to avoid all kinds of mess, she was seen by Christ. You need to know that today, that Christ does indeed see you, the real you. But what's more is it doesn't just stop right there because she believed in Christ and was changed. What was interesting is that we're doing a series right now with the youth, uh, working through all these in him statements that, that I, I believe that when you look at the Bible and you want to know what does it mean to be a Christian, you look at the in him statements, the in Christ statements. These tell us what it means to be a Christian. We find a few of them in here. In fact, I'm, I'm not talking about them with the youth because we're doing it today and in the sermon. But she believed in Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be in Christ, to believe in him, to walk in him, to live in him. And she did that. She believed in Christ and she was changed. Now, here's the beautiful thing about that, though. When she was changed, she didn't just stay there in her own little change bubble, like, yep, I'm saved, I'm happy, that's good enough for me, sorry for you guys, but I'm going to heaven. She didn't stop there. She then proclaimed Christ, and others encountered him. Because she went back to the town, the town where she often was unseen, with people who often overlooked her, and she said, you know what? You might have done me wrong, but I'm going to tell you about Jesus anyways. And because of that, these people then encountered Christ. But what's even more beautiful than that is they didn't just encounter Christ, they believed Christ and they were changed too. So you have an entire culture essentially being encountered by Christ and changed. As I said earlier, I see that Frankie and Pam are, are back right now from Mission Field. They have been on so many mission trips over the years. I, I don't even bother trying to count. He probably couldn't count them either. But they've experienced over and over again this very thing of going into a community and being the ones who get to share Christ with them and seeing the people encounter Christ and be changed. Because that's what happens. That's what happens when people encounter the Christ who loves and sees them, is that they themselves are changed. So what's interesting, though, that I want to share with you guys is that um, I talk about this, you know, the idea of the one sermon there. And there's a, a, a passage of scripture actually used in my first sermon ever here in Edgewood, um, uh, Micah 6, 6 through 8. Um, I've actually preached from, included that in the sermon more than any other passage. Um, but if there's a close second to it, it'd be in Ezekiel 47. In fact, I preached from this one all the time. I actually did a sermon. Uh, you were there over at, when we were over in, at, our, at our sister church, right? Um, where I, I cover this idea of water. Um, and you can turn there. We're not going to read the whole thing. But here in this part of this prophecy of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, um, Ezekiel is given a vision. And I believe it's a vision of us today. A vision of what's going to happen when the Messiah comes and the world is changed. But in this vision, he starts out in the temple and he sees in the middle of the temple, in the altar, there's this water coming out from the altar in the temple. And as this water comes out, it then flows off in a direction. And as it flows, he's taken in his vision with an angel and he's measuring. And as the water flows, it starts out as just a little tiny trickle. But as it flows, it gets bigger and bigger and deeper and wider as it goes. It grows as it leaves from the temple, this water. 
And in picking up in verse 7, it says that, it says, this is Ezekiel talking. It says, as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Englaim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of of very many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. He's got this vision of water flowing, right? The same sort of water that Jesus was talking about, this living water flowing forth. And it goes and it grows and it spreads and it brings life. And then as it does this, there'll be these trees that sprout up on either side. Trees for food, trees for healing, trees that are beautiful and amazing and wonderful. I was talking with my daughters who were walking in this morning about, you know, sermon preparation and preaching and everything. Um, and I likened it to a, to a journey with, with her there. I said, you know, um, I said, you, when you're on a journey with your dad, there's two kinds of ways that you go on a trip with dad, right? There's, there's the type one where dad's like, we're going from point A to point B, and we will get to point B as quickly and efficiently as possible. That is the end. That's one kind of trip with me. But there's the other kind of trip where we're going from point A to point B, and we're going to just have fun in the, in the way. Like, it doesn't matter how long it takes to get there. Let's just have fun as we go from point A to point B. Right? There, there's two kinds of ways of doing it. That's why I said the, 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 the balance in, in preaching, for me anyways, is, is the mix of those two. Because oftentimes when I'm, when I'm preaching, when I, when I have an idea of what to say, um, I have the end in mind. I know where it is we're supposed to end up. And I know where I'm starting. And the question is, how do I get from point A to point B? I could take the long, meandering route. But the problem is, and I did this when I first started preaching, um, your rear ends can only stay there so long. <laughs> and if I take the meandering route, you will definitely grow tired around minute 72 or so. Okay? <laughs> so we can't do that. There's got to be a balance to it. All right? There, there's a balance to it. But I will say that as we are on our way to where we're going, because I'm going to get there, I promise. But, but this passage as well, when it talks about this idea of these trees that, that don't wither, it does remind me of another passage of Scripture that I think is important for us to, to cover, another one that I'm constantly talking about, which is Psalm chapter 1. Um, I, I covered this many years ago with my oldest son. He was, he was going to, sh- to school, and I will tell you, um, I love him, Manazi, I love you, but he was a horrible student for the first 10 years of his life, something like that. He was bad. It was no, no fun at all. It was horrible. Um, and my wife and I were struggling. We're like, what are we going to do about this kid? Like, he keeps getting in trouble at school. And God took me to Psalm chapter 1. He said, hey, you know what? Go over this with your son. Just do this with your son. And so for a couple years, every day as we walked to school, Manazi and I, we rehearsed Psalm chapter 1. And eventually, I don't know if it just, the, the verses stuck or if he grew up, I don't know. But he got better. And he's nowhere near like that anymore. And he also loves trees now, so maybe it worked. I don't know. But Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaves do not wither, uh, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. He says there's two kinds of trees. There's a good tree and the bad tree. And the good tree 
can stand in anything and weather any storm, and it's great and it's wonderful, its fruit is awesome, its leaves are amazing, and then there's the bad tree. And in the end, it's just going to go to destruction. And then you hear that, and you think, great, I'm going to be the good tree. But the truth is, honestly, if we're honest, we were born and often live as the bad trees. Like, we tend to want to do the wicked thing. Deep down inside, we like getting our way. We, we want to cuss out that person when they make us mad. We want to get in that fight if we have to get in that fight. We want to hold that grudge. We want to be that one who always wins. We want to be, to put it another way, the God of the universe. At the end of the day, we are inherently the wicked tree. And that's worrisome. That's bothersome because that means, well, great, what hope do I have? Well, going back to Ezekiel for a second, Ezekiel 36, you don't have to turn there. I have it on screen. I think you can, yeah, you guys can probably read that. Um, I have it on screen there for you guys. But Ezekiel has a different part of his prophecy where he talks about the fact that God recognizes this problem in his people and he will do something about it. Uh, Picking up verse 24 in Ezekiel 36 says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Now remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's saying, I realize that in of yourself, you are that bad, wicked, broken, evil tree. But I'm going to do something about it. With my water, I will clean your heart, give you a new heart that you can be better. And so I want to take a minute actually right here on, on that to talk about something that, that's very important within the realm of biblical counseling, okay? I just re- recently finished my Master's in Divinity at, at, at Southern Seminary, and it was in biblical counseling. And we had this concept we talked about, that's called the, the three-tree model of biblical counseling. And if I've ever counseled any of you guys here, you've probably seen me talk about it. Um, again, it's something that I've covered in every church that I've ever pastored in. I've ended up doing this in one way, shape, or form in a sermon because it's so important. It's, it's, it was life-changing for me. Uh, and the, the idea, basic idea is that, that you have these, these situations. You have heat and dew. These are my crude drawings, so hopefully you can understand what I'm trying to get out here. You've got the sun, and you've got like clouds with watery stuff, right? And it's, in biblical comments, we call it heat and the dew. The heat and the dew of the world. It's the same for everybody. There's the heat and the dew. When we talk about the heat, right? You've got sickness. You're losing your job, fighting, war, just born into a tough family, right? You've got this heat that exists. And then you talk about the dew, Right? You've got good health or, or promotion or, or loving parents, like this, these positive things that happen in the world, right? The heat and the dew. Everybody exists in the same environment of heat and dew. It's the same for everybody. And within that, you've got two kinds of trees, right? They both have fruit on them, but you've got the, the one with just sticks, tree, and you've got the one with leaves, right? The idea is you've got a good tree and a bad tree. And the way you can tell which tree is which is by their fruit. You've got bad fruit, which you guys know this, bitterness, anger, pettiness. I say that one because I'm definitely guilty of that one. Just poking at stuff you shouldn't be poking at. Yeah, that's, that's me. You guys don't have that problem. Um, anxiety, depression, right? Bad fruit. And then you have good fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, suffering, kindness, right? The fruit of the spirit, the things that we're supposed to have. You've got these two kinds of trees with these two kinds of fruit. And if you've ever been around trees, you know what makes a tree the tree it is, is that it's going to come down to well, what kind of tree you got. What kind of roots do you have? And so in biblical comes talk about the heart, because that's biblical language, heart. Do you have good heart or bad heart? 
Because a bad heart produces a bad tree that makes bad fruit. Good heart makes a good tree that does good fruit. It's not the situation. It's not that I got fired that made me cuss that person out. It's my heart that did that. It's not because they have a loving family that they do such nice things for other people. No, it's their heart that it comes from. It's not the heat or the do. It's not the situation. It's the heart. As Jesus said, it's out of the heart, the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's not what goes into a man, but what comes out that defiles him. It's the heart. But again, we have a problem because we all have to admit that we are that bad tree. How do I get to be the good tree? Well, that's the third tree, the tree of the cross of Christ. The good news is, is that you don't have to stay a bad tree. The whole point of the gospel is that Jesus comes in and he applies to change you over. He applies the word of God to our hearts that we may be changed from bad trees to good trees, that we may produce good fruit because we've been changed by the tree that is the cross of Christ as he washes us with the word of God. So in a nutshell, that is biblical counseling in a nutshell, okay? And, and, and the interesting thing you might say is, okay, well, how do I know what kind of tree I'm being right now? How do I know what kind of fruit I have right now? And, and that's a good question we ask ourselves. Like, how, do I just like look at myself and say, hey, I think I see a, a nice looking apple right now. That, that's, that may work. But what I found is interesting is that you can often tell what sort of tree you're dealing with by what's around it. Uh, my wife and I, went, our old house in Russell, we used to have a, a, a peach tree. It wasn't a very, oops, sorry about that. Oh man, it wasn't a very big, healthy peach tree, but it was a peach tree. Um, and this peach tree, we never got to eat any peaches off of it. Um, Kind of like Brandon with his persimmon trees, right? Except the difference is I'm not as smart as Brandon, um, as you can see by me dropping this. <laughs> but I'm not as smart as Brandon, so I never got to enjoy my peaches off my peach tree because something always came and ate it every single time. Something came and ate those peaches off the peach tree. The, the reality is, let's see if this is working now. Yeah, only certain kinds of critters like certain kinds of fruits. You want to know what sort of tree you are? What sort of critters are eating the fruit you produce? Then you'll know. If you find yourself constantly surrounded by the bad kind of critters, it's probably because you're producing that kind of fruit. It's the reality of it. Stop blaming the people you're around and saying it's all their fault I'm like this. And start asking yourself, are they around me because I am like this? Is it not that I'm hanging around the bad crowd? Is it more that I'm attracting the bad crowd? Because I am indeed that tree that's producing that bad fruit that these bad critters love so much. Just maybe the issue is not them, and it really is me. And this isn't just me coming up with this. Um, if we go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, this is what Jesus has to say. This is towards the end of his Sermon on the Mount, right? This is what Jesus has to say about this idea of a tree and its fruit. And picking up verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is what Jesus is saying. It's the fruit. The fruit tells you. The fruit tells you exactly what you're dealing with. And again, if I'm going to put it in there just a little bit, this is taking a little bit of liberty with it. He's saying you will, tell them, you will know them by their fruits and you will know the fruits by what wants to eat the fruit they're offering. 
And it's something that, that Jesus had to deal with in his life and in his ministry. If we go back to, to our text for today in John chapter 4, you go to the end of our passage, 43 and 4 through 45, we see Jesus dealing with people not liking the fruit that he is producing. Here he is being the best tree ever, producing the best fruit ever. And people are like, we don't like you. We don't want to be around you. We're eventually going to kill you, but not yet. We haven't found out how to do it just yet, but we really don't like you, Jesus. Verse 43, it says, after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. See, remember, the reason why he's on this journey is because where he was, they didn't want him. Where he was, in the heart of what was supposed to be the people of God, they didn't want Jesus. They didn't like what he was saying, so he had to go to a place of outcasts, Samaria, then off to Galilee, another backwoods country place, because they didn't want him where he was. They didn't even want him where he came from. Now, he makes a point here where the author, John, he says that, as Jesus said. And I was studying this, I'm like, well, when did Jesus say that? And I look through and I'm like, Jesus didn't say that up till now in John. Where is he getting this from? This is why it's good to read the whole Bible. Because sometimes other books are actually important. So you go to Luke. Because in Luke chapter 4 is where Jesus actually says this. In Luke chapter 4, let's see here. Jesus is talking in the temple and... He, he reads in the scroll of Isaiah, he talks about how, hey, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. I am the one who comes to give you this freedom from persecution, this liberty from the thing that's been holding you back. I am the one that you've been waiting for. And meanwhile, they're sitting there saying, well, wait a minute, isn't this Joseph's kid? Like, why should we even listen to this guy? This guy, is, who are you? And this is what he says, picking up verse 24, and he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And were many lepers, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus says, Yeah. You guys don't want to hear me because that's how it goes sometimes. I may be the best tree ever, but you guys don't want me. But you know what? You did the same thing to Elijah. And he's referencing something you can find in 1 Kings 17. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. 1 Kings 17 is where he, what he's referencing. He's saying, yeah, remember that time when Elijah said it's not going to rain because Israel was so sinful and he had to leave? He had to leave to a foreign country where there was a widow with her son and they were dying because they didn't have food and he blessed them and gave them food. And then that son died. And Elijah brought him back from the dead. And all this happened, not with the Israelites, not with Jewish people, but with foreigners, because you guys didn't want anything to do with Elijah. Remember that? What's interesting is at the end of 17, if you read it, it actually talks about how it was after, after he did all this stuff of providing food, that didn't win the lady over. It was after he brought her son back from the dead that we see her saying the same thing we saw the Samaritan saying with Jesus, where she says, now I know that you are indeed a prophet of God because you brought my son back. Just like the Samaritan saying, now I know he is the Christ because I have seen him and experienced him for myself. This same thing happened again. 
But what I like about this, what, what this is showing us, the same thing we see in the life of Jesus, we're seeing in the life of Elijah, is the reality about the trees. Because yes, it's true. You can know what kind of fruit you're producing, what kind of critters are around. But here's another thing you need to be aware of. See, sometimes we can get so set in our ways that we say, I know where I can produce the best fruit, so God plant me here. This is where I want to be. If you plant me here, you give me this job, you give me this spouse, you give me this house, you give me this church. If you plant me here, I know I'll produce the best fruit ever, God. Put me here. And that's not how it's supposed to work. See, God's trees bear fruit wherever he places them, not wherever they wish to be placed. I can promise you Elijah would have loved to produce fruit in Israel. But that's not where God had him doing it. We know from the Gospels that Jesus, he wept over Israel. He wept over Jerusalem. He's like, I so would love to bear fruit for you of all people. And I can't. We don't get to tell God where he's going to plant us. We are planted where he wants to plant us to produce the fruit that he has for us to produce the end. And if you are indeed going to be one of his trees, you need to stop sitting there and telling God where he's allowed to plant you. Who's allowed to eat from your tree. That's not how this works. Rather, it's I will be where he tells me to be doing what he tells me to do. Because I'm his tree and he is my God. Going back to this idea of, of the water, because this is kind of important. Um, so again, Jesus was, was talking about, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I have this water, woman. Like, if you just would, would hear me out, I have this water. And if, this, if you drank this water, it would produce life in you, and you would have life forevermore. Like, this is important stuff. And she heard him, and she believed, and she was saved. And it's great, and it's wonderful. And as we saw, this idea that this water, it produces, it produces trees that produce fruit. See... The water that Christ gives produces trees that bear much fruit. And we see this already just in the story of the Samaritan woman. That she received this word from Christ. She drank from the water he offered. She began to be this living tree. She went back. She produced fruit. And life was seen in her entire community because she drank from the living water. This is what it means to really believe in him. To really receive him. To really hear him. As I was getting to the end of preparing this, this message, um, I had this, this image in my mind. Um, this, this image that I had was this idea, and I have a picture here of, of mangroves. I don't know if you're familiar with, with mangrove trees. Um, they're a really unique, weird kind of tree that they can live in what they call brackish water, you know, salt water and fresh water. It doesn't matter to them so much. Um, and, and they can live in these, these, these coastal regions and, and bring life forth. Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, there's got to be a message in there. I think this ties in, God. I'm not sure how. So I was looking around the internet, and I found this, this video of a guy um, who was talking about the efforts in Thailand, of all places, where they're having these issues where they're losing their mangrove forests. Um, and they're coming in trying to teach them how to, how to reforest the mangrove areas. And they're talking about how, you know, it's important because they, they actually, they, they, they suck the salt out and they have salt in their leaves and, and all the little fish can live in their roots and, and it's great and, and, and the trees are good for, for using for building boats and the leaves can be used for healing. I tell you, it sounds like Ezekiel 47 to me. You got these trees by this water. You got some salt water and some fresh water and fruit and fish. It's like, man, God, you really know what you're talking about. They even have mangroves in Israel, but here you are. And this guy was talking about how important these trees are for them, how important these forests are, that they need this to have a society. They need these trees to exist. And he has this thing that he said that I want to, I want to share with you, this thing that he says. He said, he, said, he said, we're fishermen. 
We depend on the sea for everything. If we lose the mangrove forest, we also lose the resources of the water. Then in the future, we'd have nothing. He said, if we don't have these trees, we have no life. We, we need these trees to be alive. And, and as I was thinking about this mentor, and I realized, like, this should be how people feel about us. Because if we are to be these good trees, these living trees that are planted by the streams of living water, producing life and fruit and leaves that heal, the world should feel like this about us. Yeah, sure, there are things they're going to not like about us because we convict them of their sin. Yeah, that's true. Because we live different kinds. Yes, that's true. But we also see scripture saying that there's this element of us being the church that says that the whole world is healed by our presence. That there should be something in them that says, you know what? We may not want to go to church, but we want to make sure our community has churches. Like, like we may not like you Christians, but we don't want a community without Christians because there's just something about you that brings life. There's something about having you here that keeps us living, that keeps us able to do what we need to do. We may not want to be one of you, but we want to keep living off of you because being around you is so much better than not being around you. But what, what, what I'm, I'm saying is that the, the church is meant to be a people the world fights to be near. They should be seeing us and saying, we want to preserve you. And what saddens me is that when I think about the fact that so often it's not that way, I have to ask myself, see, Brandon and I, we go to this group of pastors that meet in the mornings on Friday mornings, and we talk about different things. We read through books together, and we talk about how to lead our church as well and all these things. But one thing that I share with them that constantly just, just breaks my heart is that I feel like a lot of the issues the world has with us has nothing to do with our holiness, has nothing to do with our love for Christ, and has everything to do with the fact that we're still producing bad fruit. We're still producing bad fruit. And because of that, we're in trouble. Because of that, they don't want anything to do with us. Because the reality is, is that they can hate us all they want to, but if we're a people of love, they won't want to get rid of us. They may not want to be us, but they still want to be near us. They may not like everything we do, but they're still going to want us to be around their kids, giving them free food and, and clothes and hugging on them and, and tell them that they can be something when they grow up. The reality is, is that you see this in the history of the church even. You realize that we conquered Rome and we didn't do it with political programs. We didn't do it with complicated agendas. We did it by being the dummies who were adopting orphans in the streets. But then dummies who said, I'm going to go and I'm going to love on the lepers, even though I might die from leprosy. We conquered Rome by being the church. Because we loved, we served, we gave, we died even. We bore fruit. That's what we're supposed to be. And the beautiful thing is that we see that in Christ's life and we see that we are just like his disciples. Sitting there walking with them day in, day out. And we show up and we see he's talking to a lady and we're like, we're not going to get involved in that. It's, it looks crazy. Well, you do your thing, Jesus. I'm going to stay over here. And Jesus starts talking about, hey, man, I don't need your food. What, what, do you, what sort of food do you have? And we don't understand. And he says, don't you see the harvest? And we're like, no, we don't see it. We've been walking with you all this time, and no, we don't see it. And he's like, why don't you see it? Why don't you see it? This is what we're supposed to be. Not changing the kind of tree we are. Not insisting on being in a nice little safe garden where there's never any pests bugging us and we don't have to worry about somebody coming and chopping off a limb. Not, not having that perfect life as we define it. No, we are to be his trees. 
producing his fruit. And that will mean, if we do it, that the world will see. And some will be saved. And a lot won't. But the interesting thing is that we find even in Scripture, that even amongst the lost, we're supposed to be a source of healing. Even amongst the ones who refuse and reject Christ, we are to be loving and kind, bearing much fruit, that they may know Christ and his love. This is what we're supposed to be. And this is what Jesus was telling that woman he offered. He said, I have water. I have water better than what this well has. Water that if you drink it, you will never thirst again. Water that if you drink it, it will change you. And that woman, she saw him. She was seen by him. She believed in him. And she did drink of that water. And she bore fruit. I pray that we will drink and bear fruit. Let's pray.